This is episode 199. Today is Wednesday, September 21st, 2011. Welcome to Countless Screaming Argonauts. I'm T-Fat the Fabulous Penguin. And I'm Max. So um, let's start out with a little Pat Robertson. How's that sound? Okay. This past week, Pat Robertson got a call, and the caller said that he had a wife with Alzheimer's. Yeah. And did you hear about this? No. Uh, it's just such a sad subject. Yeah. Okay. Well, he, a caller called up and said that he had a wife with Alzheimer's and that he was – taking care of her, yeah. but that he had begun dating. Uh-huh. And Pat Robertson said, this is a quote. He said, I know it sounds cruel, but if you're going to do something, you should divorce her and start all over again. Make sure she has good custodial care, something, somebody looking after her, which is almost compassionate. Yeah. But then his own readers and other clergymen have been bashing him. To no end, because they felt that he was going against the sanctity of marriage. You know, that whole... Yeah, oh yeah, it's a death to its part. Yeah. I know that I have had some experience with Alzheimer's in my family, Yeah, and I understand a lot about it. It, it, It's part of my field. Right. So I have opinions about this, but I'm just, I'm interested in your opinion first about what Robertson said, and in general about the issue. Wow. <laughs> what a subject. Uh, first of all, it's, it's real complicated. Uh, I, I don't know. You know me. I have pretty strong opinions. I'm not even sure what I think about this, but my gut feeling is stay married and date. Uh-huh. Uh, I saw, I, I can't tell you the guy's name. I saw a CBS news reporter talking about his wife and his girlfriend, and the, they both went to visit the wife in the nursing home where she was getting excellent care and where she was glad to, you know, meet both of them mm-hmm. and remember them. And uh, he said, you know, this is my story. Some people say I'm doing wrong. Right. I remember and, reading about that. Yeah, I don't – I'm I'm not going to say anybody's wrong here. I, I don't know the right answer. And, well, I'm not sure there is a right answer, so let's start there. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I, this may be one of those personal ethics or personal feelings sorts of thing. Right. Right. And I, what I found when I read this, what I found is, is that my opinion has changed over the last year with my dad. Yeah. Okay. It was different before when it wasn't affecting me directly. I mean, it, it affects my work. I've had to deal right. with both individuals who I work for and family, their family members experiencing the disease and, and and what that means in terms of guardianship, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So I had right. formed an opinion about that. But then I had my dad who, you know, was experiencing, oh, I'm going to say eight years worth of, of symptoms. Yeah. Did not recognize me or anyone yeah. in my family for the last, I'm going to say, three, three and a half years. Yeah, see, I, I, this is the hardest disease of all. And, the, you know, my opinion has always been, and this is why I, I ended up not visiting him when he was in the nursing home at the end, because that wasn't him. 
and, yeah. and I did not want to have that as my memory of him. Well, I wanted to remember this big, strong man right. who, you know, was great with his hands and who was, uh, you know, just a, uh, a, a very, very giving person. A, a loving, attentive dad. Right. Not a weak, failing individual who didn't recognize anybody who was just laying there drooling. I mean, that wasn't him. Yeah. You know? And so we talk about quality of life things, of course, but, you know, from my perspective, that wasn't him. And I know that, you know, when people are in comas, maybe it's a little easier or maybe it's harder for some people to, to look at that and say that that person's not there because, you know, with somebody with Alzheimer's, especially in the mid-stages of it, they can respond and they, you know, like you said, right. she was happy to see that guy. My dad was always happy to have a visit, you know, right. and, and if you brought him an ice cream, he'd love you forever. But even right. that changed over the last couple of years. Well, there is a, a part of the disease which seems to make people rude and unruly and difficult. I, I think what it is is that it, it affects you in a, it, it affects you in a opposite way of your personality. That yeah. you know that everybody's personalities obviously everybody's personality is different. At least from my experience, that that people yeah. who are generally good, I think, are generally good because they keep that that dark side of themselves at bay. Mm, you know, and that when you have this disease, you no longer have that ability. I, I knew several individuals who were very, very sweet, but had an edge to them. And when they had this disease, they had a real edge to them. Yeah, yeah, I've heard that. I but I, I know the answer to this question. It's just dawned on me. Uh -huh. Take it to the United States Congress. They have all the answers. <laughs> now, what, have, a, have a vote. What should Let's have a vote and figure out what, what they, uh, should they should do with this with this person. Well, you know, you, you you know how Newt Gingrich would vote because, I mean, he was dating on his wife when she had cancer. So, I mean, that wasn't even right. bad as Alzheimer's at, at that point. So, right. But uh, the the Terry Schiavo right. incident, yeah. you know, they, they they knew the answer right there. Mm -hmm. I think the United States Congress should get involved in in the business of every sick person in the United States. I think that's what they need to do because they're not doing any fucking things as it is. <laughs> Obviously, it's a very personal issue. Uh, I, I would say, irrespective of, of the sanctity of marriage, which I do believe in, uh, um, that, that this guy should stay married for the possible insurance benefits. Well, I think, you know, I think that that's what Robertson was saying when he said that make sure that she had custodial care and somebody looking after her. You know, right. the, the fact of the matter, the fact is, is that, again, from my perspective, and I'm going to go with both a theological and philosophical yeah. statement, you know, that that was that that marriage stopped being a marriage when that person stopped being that person. Right. You know, and, and yeah, that's I just different. can't argue with that. I don't I don't know. I, I you know, if somebody says you're married for for good or for ill. I'm not going to argue with that either. <laughs> you, my hubris is is a great volume, and and you've exceeded it. <laughs> even even I, Max, even drinking cranberry bog cannot tell you what to do in this circumstance. Well, you know, I'm glad that you uh, I'm glad that you I was I'm glad I stopped you in your tracks. 
Well, you know, t- today may be the show about answers because I'm going to ask you some more questions about something else. Because I, I figure I got you on a roll. You got the you got the bog running. So, and you know I have answers. I do. I do. So here's the question. The question is, when is it okay to take somebody's DNA without their consent? Oh, All right. I've, I've had this discussion. With- so, so you and I know that a, a policeman can't just walk up to you in, in the street and say, I demand that you give me some of your DNA. Right. However, there are many states in the, in the United States that have laws that say that when you are arrested for a felony – that they can take a DNA sample. So so New York has a law and California has a law. Well, it just went to the California Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. And the California Supreme Court said that there is a continuum of privacy that runs from when you're an ordinary citizen, where you have full expectation of privacy, and when you are an incarcerated prisoner, where there's a very limited expectation of privacy. However... Somebody who's been arrested for a felony but not yet been convicted is more similar to an ordinary citizen than a prisoner, and they went on to stop that practice in California. Now, what's interesting Uh, about that is that in California, only about half of felony arrests end up with convictions. So that means that for every felon that was convicted, there was somebody who had their DNA taken for no probable cause. Yeah, um... That's that's really interesting. This is the night of tough questions, Max. Yeah, it really is, because uh, it, it, certainly in the sense that you've been convicted, they have they have a right to to take your DNA. I'm gonna I'm gonna give you that one. Okay. Um, and this thing about being arrested and taking your DNA, I understood it, and I just sort of nodded my head and went, "Yeah." But now that you ask the question, should they be allowed? And you said that the kicker was probable cause, right? Right. Yeah. See, I think, I think that's well. Until you have probable cause, that you know, the, a person who's been arrested is simply an ordinary citizen. Then the cop stops the kid, and the kid rolls down the window, and pot smoke billows out. Mm-hmm. That's probable cause, right? He can't stop you and search your car. Because we still have at least a limited right of privacy. Right. But with probable cause, that switches the switch. Mm -hmm. So I think maybe it's a comparable. What do you think? Well, this I'm gonna I'm gonna muddy the issue a little bit. Instead of it being pot, let it be alcohol. And instead of it being one person in the car, there's two, and he smells alcohol. Does he have probable cause to say that that person is driving drunk and demand that he take a sobriety test? Now, you Uh, and I are both, I think, going to say yes. Does he smell alcohol on the breath of the driver? No, he smells alcohol. The person opens the window, he smells alcohol. That the cloudiness of that issue is the same cloudiness that that would deal with – that would come up with somebody who's arrested for a felony lots of times. You know, lots of times people are arrested for felonies that they had no – I mean, they, you know, Texas just released a whole bunch of people, actually the whole uh, – all over the places, uh, you know. Were they alive when they were released? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. They, they hadn't killed them yet. Um, <laughs> but, the, you know, that whole uh, – Well, here's here's two things I'm thinking about. I'm going to work them into an answer as soon as I 
am able. <laughs> the Patriot Act, which allows searches unbeknownst to you, mm-hmm. and our long-standing tradition that in order to take evidence, which is what the, taking DNA is, you have to get a warrant. Right. Or, or in, in, a, in an urgent situation, have probable cause. You know, taking part of your person, even if it's swabbing your cheek, you know, I believe, maybe I'm wrong, if you can stand, if the, if the society can stand to take the time, you have to get a warrant. That's why we have courts. The courts are supposed to be the neutral, impartial arbitrators. Mm-hmm. And, and you're supposed to get a warrant. I'm pretty sure that's right in the Constitution. <laughs> and, and the Patriot Act says you can, you can rifle through anybody's anything, anytime, without telling them, which right. is why we're repulsed by it, and, and why liberals are offended by President Obama, who, who continues it. If the court issues a court order saying, take evidence, take DNA, no question. That's that's within our jurisprudence. You know, I think that it's probably, in California at least, it's probably SOP that when somebody's arrested, they get fingerprinted. And, they, you know, if it's a felony, they right. get fingerprinted and they have a DNA test. And then that DNA is available to them. To, to check against other crimes, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And then what happens if you're not convicted of that crime? They don't give you your DNA back. They don't take you out of the system. Right. Yeah. They have your DNA. And don't tell me that they're going to do that either because, you know, the TSA said they're going to get rid of all those scans yeah. and, and, they and they're showing up all over the place. So don't give me that. Yeah. No, I'm, I think they have to give the DNA back. Uh, they should, I think, morally and accord and in accordance with the Constitution, uh, they don't have a right to that right. material. But if they've already used it to scan their records to see if you have showed up in any other crime, they can't give it back to you. Yeah, you can't you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. Right. So you're against it, uh, California? Yeah, basically. Yeah, I am. So I so what you're saying is. What we have here is a check swing, and and we know in baseball there's no such thing as a check swing. There are only two options. Right. You swing or you don't. Right. And in this case, you're guilty or you're not. Right. Give it back. And if you're not guilty, they don't have a right to it. And if you are right. guilty, they do. But right. until you determine the guilt, whether or not they have a right to it, they don't have they a right. They don't have to a it. right to it. I don't think. I agree with you. So I want to move on to a little bit lighter subject. Is it possible? Uh, yeah, I hope so. Yeah, I, hope I think so. you're right. All right, so I um, so I started my teaching my class again. I haven't mm-hmm. taught since I got sick, and I'm right, teaching, teaching a course. A- I'm teaching a course on technology, uh, catching up to the technology. It's an adult education program at night. Right. So you're basically telling them how to find porn on the internet. Well, no, actually, we're talking about technology in general. We're talking about hardware. We're, we're talking about iPads and smartphones. Hey, like I said, porn. <laughs> That kind of stuff. So um, we, we were talking about we're we're setting up for tomorrow's class to talk about cell phones, and uh-huh. we're talking about how they're how much different they are nowadays than you know than that old flip phone that you first got that you right. could do is make a phone call and stuff. 
Right. And we were talking a little bit about we, we kind of got into a discussion about um, uh, about manners with the self. Uh-huh. Just you know, people complaining about you know loud people talking at movie theaters or restaurants or, or that sort of thing. Right. Well, the Pew Pew just finished a uh, an internet study. Thirteen percent of cell phone users had actually faked checking their phone or being on the phone to avoid. Oh. Contact with another person. Uh-huh. And the younger the person is, the, the more higher percentage that. they are to have done that. I guess that my first question is, I have to know, Max, have you ever done that? No. I've never done it either. Now, I have to ask College Boy if he has. Now, I have, I have been called by people that I knew I wasn't interested in talking to, but were more of an excuse to get away from talking to someone else. <laughs> okay. I, I've taken calls that that would help me extract myself from a right. situation. But that's but a I, real I'm, call. You're not making believe that you got a call. Right, right. You know? And yeah. I'm also, I'm interested in the fact that, say, older adults do that less than younger. Well, you think that, that older adults are more polite? I I don't know. I'm not sure that the, if that's what that says. I mean, I think you can make that argument. I think culturally we're we're more crass than we were mm-hmm. when I was a child. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, so yeah, you can make that argument. Um, I wonder if some of it or all of it is comfortableness with the technology. You and I both only got cell phones recently, whereas my kids. He had one, and we did it because we wanted to be able to be in touch with him right. if something happened. And because, you know, with soccer practice and baseball practice. Oh, yeah, it's more immediate communication, right. more constant awareness of where your child is. Yeah, so sure. he's grown up with it, right? and so he's more comfortable with it. So is it a matter Which of is, comfort? Uh, it's It still gets back to the the rules of courtesy in regard to... To a cell phone didn't exist before cell phones existed. Right. And manners and regarding phones are different when the phone is physically different. Mm-hmm. You know, we never had to determine whether or not to answer a phone in a public place because we never got a phone in a public place. Right. But I think that I, I think that part of that is just simply a extension of another common courtesy. In other words, if they're talking right. to their companion loudly, it's going to bother people and people are going to make comments about it. But I've also had the experience. I was in an elevator at the mall mm-hmm. and there was a woman who was talking very, very quietly on her phone. She was not obnoxious. Right. But we're in a freaking, you know, four by four box, <laughs> box with glass so you can hear everything that she's saying. Yeah. And I'm not particularly interested in. Right. Her child rearing skills. But if do you remember uh, when cell phones were less ubiquitous, but still popular back say twelve years ago? Mm-hmm. People would their phone would ring in a lecture or in a movie. Right. There was no socially prescribed norm mm-hmm. yet. Right. Uh, now, anytime I go see a movie, a play, somebody's standing in front of the room saying, please put all your cell phones on mute. And, and that's become 
the norm, and it's obviously a good idea. Uh, I, I think these things evolve. Sure, I agree. Uh, I agree. So, yeah, that's what I think. Hmm. Interesting. You know, I, I uh, w- when you were talking about just w- we we're just talking about how it's changed. I mean, I you know, I, I see it a lot at meetings. Mm-hmm. I've had people literally apologize to the whole group several times because they got a cell phone call. I've I've been that person, and and in my place of business, in my work, the the sort of accepted practice, and nobody said do this. Get up, get out of the room. If you have to take a phone call, and in my business, sometimes you have to take a phone call, and also just as a as a person, an adult, you as a parent, myself as a as a son, you know, you get emergency phone calls. Mm-hmm. Sure. Oh, absolutely. Now I'm going to tell you another interesting fact about this. Yeah. Okay. I've had this happen a lot. Um, mm-hmm. Where I work, we have we have a clinical team, and on mm-hmm. the clinical team there is a doctor, and there might be a psychologist or psychiatrist, and right. there's a nurse practitioner. Mm-hmm. Now, where I work, the nurse practitioners now carry cell phones. Right. A state-issued cell phone. State-issued, sure. Right, because they need to be able to be contacted at the drop of a hat. Right, and you're certainly given better care if you can be immediately uh, uh, placed at the scene of, a, right. of an emergency. And I've never seen one of the NPs or a doctor apologize for getting a phone call, even if it is nothing major. Even if it's not a life and death situation, but simply somebody calling to find out where the thermometers are, um, they take it as a healthcare professional and they don't say anything about that. But Mm -hmm. other people, other people at that same meeting, other people at the same rank as members of the clinical team would apologize profusely for getting a phone call. Yeah. That's interesting. My boss, uh, we had a, a staff meeting yesterday, and she got a phone call, and she struggled with her phone. There's a button where she can say, you know, send to voice message or whatever. Mm-hmm. She hit the button. Bam. Two minutes, a minute later, <laughs> the voice message tone appeared, mm-hmm. and she hit the button again, you know. Right. And, and then she got another tone that said that she had a message, and she hit the button again. <laughs> You know, I, I think she didn't apologize, or maybe she did. I don't know, but it, it wasn't a big deal, and we all just accepted it. It's, mm. you know, she she put us first by continuing the meeting, right? But she dealt with the interruption, and, and I think that's that's what happens. I, you know, if people, I, I think people should apologize for interrupting at, at any time. You know, excuse me. Right. Don't you, sure. you say excuse me if you got to interrupt so two other people that are talking. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so generally at my work we do that. But uh, you know, I, if you have to take a call, you have to make that determination. I have been in a meeting where I've clicked the button that says send to voicemail, and I've I've been in a meeting where I've gotten out of my chair and walked out into the hallway Just and said, yeah, yeah. That's 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 my ethic yeah. for it, and I, it's sort of the way it's we an do it. In, yeah, it's an interesting one because uh, it, it's like a set of rules that wasn't there before. 
Right, but what are you going to do if you if you get a call that's that's from the school nurse and your child's in eighth grade? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, your parents never did did that. They never interrupted their work day because they couldn't get cell phone calls. Right. But you know, if the school nurse says calls and says you have a sick child, first of all, if, you know, if the school is calling you, it's important. Mm-hmm. You know. I, People, I think, generally agree. Children go to the top of the priority list. Right. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. You know, I, in in days of old, we used to not have women bosses. Mm-hmm. You know, what are you going to do? Say, you know, uh, or even if it's a if it's a single father, you're going to say, no, I'm sorry, uh, we didn't used to be able to let people go home when their kids are sick. We're not going to let you go home. Right. Yeah. No, it's interesting. But I didn't ask you if you had anything to uh, bring up. I I have one thing that might might be a good thing to finish with. Okay, go for it. In, I believe it's Sydney in Australia. Not Sydney, New York? Not Sydney, New York. Okay. At an Ikea, they, they, they have a place for children to play while mom and pop shop. And this particular Ikea now has a place for pop to play. Well, mom shops. Uh huh. Just a just a test marketing thing. They called it Manland. Uh huh. <laughs> and Manland has an Xbox, a pinball game, football, by which I think they mean soccer. soccer. The spinning, kicking guys table game. What? Am, oh right, yeah, foosball. foosball. Right. Free hot dogs, televised sporting events, and mom gets a a device that she carries with her through which she can be contacted after 30 minutes when it's time to come pick up Bob. <laughs> I, I sort of like that idea. You know, I, I would say, you know, that you should take that even a step further. Like at football games, they should have a mom's area or a women's area who, who are not interested in football. So they right, can go and right. Right, they can sit there and read magazines or, you know, do whatever they watch, soap operas or whatever they – I don't mean that. Have a glass of wine. Right, shop. sure. Absolutely. Shop, sure. Right. I don't have but any trouble it, with that at all. I think it's a smart idea. I think it's a great idea. I thought it was pretty funny. Uh, there was a woman who said, I kind of want to hang out in Manland. Okay. So it's not, not really Manland because – Well, she wasn't – as far as I know, she wasn't allowed to stay. Uh-huh. Wrong gender. Right, but they said, which they said to the the man, which do you think is is happier with this, you or your wife? And the men said me. <laughs> right. And and they asked the wives, and the wives said me. Me, sure. <laughs> you know, nobody likes to have be dragged through the store, and nobody likes to be doing the dragging, right? Right. Exactly. You know, so I can so, I see that. But now here's next. Being that today is the Today is the podcast of questions. <laughs> okay. So what happens if it's a lesbian couple? Um, one of them gets to play foosball, and one of them's got to go buy furniture. I, that's that To me, that's exactly what it is. So you really can't call it manland. You have to call it <laughs> yeah. spouseland. You're going to get yourself in trouble No, I'm here. not. Spouseland or, or a significant other land. <laughs> S-O land. S-O land. <laughs> Right. Uh, yeah. Well, obviously, uh, if you brought it here and said women couldn't stay here, if, if it existed in America, there'd probably be lawsuits. But uh, I, I do think they ought to 
they ought to continue it. I think it's a good idea. Free hot dogs. I know. I, I popcorn <laughs> the football game on on a Sunday afternoon. I'd go to the mall. Go to the mall just to watch it on a 60-inch screen. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. It, it just looked like a lot of fun. Give me a, and, and, give me a comfy chair and a 60-inch screen. I'm happy as a chair. <laughs> I, I thought it was a great idea. It was only an experiment, but... Um, well, I think we should write to them and tell them, hell yeah. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. yeah. Let's, bring it, let's here. bring it here and try it here. Because, yeah. you know, if you can do it here, you can do it anywhere. Well, that's what they say. Yeah. Especially in New York. Uh-huh. <laughs> that's it. That's all I've got. No, hey, listen. It was a very, very interesting show. A show of questions. It was a painful and difficult show, but I had fun. Okay. Well, have a good one. Hi, this is Miss Nicole of 8 Beer Sampler Productions. You've been listening to Max and T-Fab the fabulous penguin of Countless Screaming Argonauts, the podcast of record. Listen to their podcast adventures at csapodcast.blogspot.com or download it free from the iTunes podcast store. Just search Countless Screaming Argonauts. And thanks for listening.